friends, and thanks for listening to the Capital City Soccer Show, your independent source for everything Austin FC. Today we will be joined by American soccer writer Phil West to talk about the MLS's back tournament, and we're also going to talk to him about MLS supporters group splits and the lessons that can be learned after the recent SG split that happened here in Austin. So that'll be an exciting conversation. I am joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Jeremiah, how's it going? Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. Things are going well. So, Landon, you know, something exciting. I mean, we didn't have a lot of soccer news this week for Austin FC, but one thing that I thought was really cool to see was many of our friends uh, and folks that have been involved in this for a very long time got to make their supporters deposits, and every one of them posted it on Twitter, which I thought yeah. was cool. What would you think about that? <laughs> it's really cool. Like, it, I mean, it makes me jealous. So we, I think we talked about this on one of the last couple episodes, but we both decided not to do – supporter section tickets and are getting general tickets instead. And so it makes me a super jealous that I haven't gotten to buy tickets yet, but I also like, yeah, super excited for all these people, uh, people I know and people I don't know posting, posting these tickets because yeah, there's, there's been a lot of people really excited about this and really invested in this for a long time. And to actually own a piece of it and have it in your hands now is it's uh it's a pretty special moment, I think. Yeah, and one of the things I noticed too, a bunch of that maybe, you know, maybe I just noticed because I was paying attention, but there were a lot of people that said like, I've never had season tickets before for anything. And they were really excited about this being their first chance to do that, which I think speaks to the passion of the fan base. And then probably also the relative value of the supporters tickets, which is something we talked about for months, you know, not knowing how much they were going to be. But, you know, when the pricing came out, I think they, they were affordable for a lot of people and they were relieved by it. So it was really cool to see them uh, had the chance to, to make their first season tickets, Austin FC season tickets. Yeah. We haven't talked about the price on the show. Have we? I know. Th- yeah, no, we, we just did bad, apparently really terrible projections about what they were going to be. And all, <laughs> they were all way too high, but I think it ended up being what, like four twenty five a ticket. And I'm sure there was like a, a uh, four, four four seventy five four seventy five. but not, yeah. And not I think bad. like just over, like, like right around $500 with the like fees and everything. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that, and then, and I know a lot of people were, um, I guess, cause they had like deposits and payment plans and stuff. So it sounded like, sounded like it wasn't too bad. You know, I think, I think I saw somebody was going to have to drink, uh, Bush light instead of IPAs <laughs> for a while now, but you know, that's a sacrifice they were willing to make for tickets. Yeah. All right. We're going to take one real quick break. We'll be back with Phil West right after that. All right, we are back with Phil West, the writer of two books about American soccer. So we figured he'd be a great person to talk about the MLS's back tournament, but also about uh, supporters group drama since you, Phil, you literally wrote a book about Major League Soccer and kind of the history of it, which part of part of the history of Major League Soccer is supporters group drama. So yeah, definitely. Be- yeah, and that was definitely a thing that I wanted to get into with the book. I mean, not so much the drama, but just supporters groups and how they emerged and how they've been influential in the game. So absolutely. Cool. Let's talk some MLSs back first before we get into that, though. So um, this we're recording this on a Sunday. Uh, there was a, a major scare this morning with the Toronto and D.C. game. Uh, on Saturday night, there was a player from each team that received received a positive test result. Um, they were kind of scrambling to do re- to retest those two players, and then right up until game time, they weren't sure it was going to happen. Luckily, both of those tests have come back negative. And Phil told me just as he jumped on the call that that game has been rescheduled for Monday morning. So yeah, we get some Monday uh, morning we'll soccer, more- which which has been nice. I mean, it's been fun to have. Uh, these 8 a.m. Central start times for for some of the games. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, what were you guys thinking whenever that news came out? I was terrified. I, I kind of thought this was the beginning of the end of this tournament. Yeah, I did too. I mean, it seems like they've been really lucky for the most part so far. I mean, obviously, you had FC Dallas and you had Nashville that had a lot of the, the positive tests, and um, that actually made the numbers kind of work out weirdly. I mean, obviously, FC Dallas, I would have liked to see in this. Nashville, to me, seemed like they were going to be like the team most likely to catch COVID and be out of the tournament because that's just kind of Nashville <laughs> in their life, you know? But, but yeah, I mean, again, I mean, that, and that just shows that they're like probably one, you know, outbreak from this whole tournament being in jeopardy. But so far, they've been 
fairly lucky and they've been able to control things and it's just it's really it's really nice to see them back and active and see these games happening even though you know it's obviously super weird in these little fields in Orlando and Fox pumping in the crowd noise in particular I mean that was that was really weird for the Atlanta New York game in particular yeah yeah so what if what have you y'all's thoughts been on this tournament overall I mean I think so up until I mean I, you guys both know a lot more about this than me so I'm probably going to screw this up right but up until last night with Columbus and Cincinnati what is it scored in the first half I mean I think they were like it's been kind of sluggish early on until people until people got their feet underneath them and Columbus obviously blew that blew that away yesterday but um you know I mean I think it's they they're to me they're playing like guys in a bunch of heat that have been off for 100 days and I'm hoping yeah. You know, as we get to the second round of games, that'll pick up a little bit. I think the quality, even over the last couple of days, maybe because of more training or whatever, has been better than it was early on. But that, that's been my main observation. Yeah, I think you're right on with that. I mean, yeah, the Heat's obviously going to have a lot of impact, and obviously they're going to be a little bit rusty. I mean, yeah, that Columbus game was the, the first game that hasn't been decided by either a goal or has been a draw. So boy did Columbus look good or maybe conversely boy did Cincinnati look bad I, I think it was a little of both uh but yeah Cincinnati is not great but I think a, a lot of people were picking Columbus to to go far in this tournament if not win it and uh, I, I think they have a really a really strong team this year and um so yeah it, it's it's nice to see a team that struggled so so much last year with injuries and things like that to to actually look good and be firing on all cylinders. Yeah, right I mean, I would agree in most cases, except it's them. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> but fair. That's but fair. I'm really I'm really happy that Zell Ryan looked good. I mean, his goal was amazing. And if Zardis is like developing a first touch like this late in his career, maybe maybe that's kind of a little bit of a game changer. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, on his first goal, that was I mean, that was a really well played ball, it especially was. on his first. I didn't. I didn't see his second one, but that first one, I mean, he took it right down and like played it to his advantage. It was not a Zardes goal at all. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you would have expected him to like, you know, bump that like over the crossbar or something or wildly out of bounds, but no, he trapped it and ran with it and just put it past the keeper. He did exactly what a competent forward is supposed to do, which is great. <laughs> um, so, other other kind of like hot button topics about the uh, the tournament is. So the giant Adidas logo and all of the green screen ads <laughs> around the stadium. What do you guys think about all that? What, what is that a problem? <laughs> is that something you the don't giant... like? <laughs> no, I, I've just heard a lot of people complain about it. I personally don't care. Like I just kind of ignore all that stuff. Yeah, but I, mean, I just it's... heard a lot of people like upset about the 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 Adidas logo took up the entire center circle in that first game. And then apparently enough people complained about it that it shrunk to half the size and like <laughs> has some like transparency on it now. But yeah. it's being projected onto the for those of you who haven't seen it, it's being projected onto the the field just like on the TV broadcast. So it's not actually on the field, but yeah. it was enormous that first game. I mean, it's a little ridiculous, but like I'm I'm not gonna not wear Adidas. You know, it's not like yeah. all of a sudden I I have to stop buying any Goya products because the CEO appeared with Trump, you know, it's not on that level. I mean, yeah, that's, and we were talking a little bit before the, the sponsorship. I mean, you'll notice that um, for individual games, you'll have teams have their kind of key sponsors on big displays behind them. I mean, it's, you know, obviously it's kind of a weird situation uh, for the teams. They don't really get to do their kind of 17 home games a year. Um, so anything they can kind of do to help their, you know, obviously their sponsorship relationships with, with this, I think it's fine. I mean, um, to me, the, the crowd noise is, is weirder than, um, you know, anything projected onto the field. Yeah. It's, uh, that's, that's another thing I wanted to talk about is the, the crowd noise. So, the first few games were all on ESPN and I, the broadcast I watch anyway, did not have the crowd noise. Was that true of all ESPN broadcasts? I think a few have had a little bit, but not to the level that Fox had it. And I've been yeah, watching, Fox I've been had it like, on my laptop landed and on the laptop you can pick. Like if, okay. Like if you're on ESPN.com, you can pick either like the with crowd noise or without crowd noise feed which is not an option they give you on the fox feed but yeah they're kind of weird although i know like tonight on the minnesota game um 
there's a couple choice words that were used where they had like cut the, you know, cause when you hear the players on the field, you hear everything, right. You know, so yeah. all of a sudden like the entire audio just went blank cause they had to cut it all out to, to cut out some things people were saying. Yeah. I think they said they're doing it on like a 15 or 30 second delay so that, because also the, the people announcing these games are not in Orlando. So they're having to like send it to Connecticut or to California, depending on which team is, is broadcasting. Right. And then also because they're bleeping all these, all the things that are being said on the field. But um, there was one game in particular, which was uh, the San Jose. Who did San Jose play? Seattle. Seattle, San Jose, Seattle, which uh, Matias Almeida was on the sideline, just like screaming the whole time. And their bench was really getting into it that game. And I loved not having any crowd noise during that game just because of how energetic and um, energetic it was. But also you just could hear everything he was saying. And there's just some really cool moments that you got to hear on the field, which in a normal game, you, you miss all of that. And so. I think there's something to be said for kind of the energy that the crowd noise gives, but this is a really, it's kind of a special moment in time where we get to hear all these things. And so while we can hear them, I want to listen to them. Yeah. And for me, I think that the weirdest of the crowd things is like the video boards of the people, right? Like on the side and the back. And I, I don't think they're live. I think it's just like, people randomly screaming on, on Instagram yeah. or something. Like, I don't know how that works out, but I'm not a fan of whatever that thing is. I like the sentiment of it, but it's, it plays as kind of distracting and kind of strange and like disconnected from the game. And so I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of that part of it. Either, yeah. I, I know with the league of MX games now, they're also doing something like that, but um like on on corner kicks you basically just had all these people that were like shining their cell phone lights into the screens <laughs> so that 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 seemed you know kind of terrible and also like exactly what i would expect of league of mx fans so slow clap right during there. during that um that seattle san jose game um there was just like since we've signed our first player, our first player now, there's been a lot of kind of thinking about which of these player these players might play for Austin FC in the future. And um, watching that Seattle game, I kind of had this realization on teams that I watch. I want most of the players to be like good, nice boys, just like respectable young men playing playing a sport. And then I want there to be just like one major head on the field and uh, the the person who, who made that stand out to me was javier ariaga for for <laughs> seattle he's just a terrible person on the field and just kicks people and runs through people but gets away with it every time and that's what i want austin fc to look like i want there to be like a center back or a, or a defensive midfielder who's just a terror to play against and then all the rest of them i want them to be just like just nice young men i just pull like blas perez out of retirement yeah. <laughs> um, so you mentioned the morning games earlier, Phil. Do we think this is something that might stick around? We've kind of heard some some rumblings and some rumors that that might be something MLS tries to stick with if the if the ratings are good. I mean, I've heard that a little bit. I mean, the the two things that would really kind of make me question that though is like, first of all, you know, how are you going to kind of implement who gets that? early game in the regular season and then also just the logistics of an actual game day i mean when you do it in orlando and it's controlled and there's no fans to be concerned about um but if you're you know asking austin fc fans to roll out of bed at like 5 a.m you know for a 9 a.m match and then you're trying to put that up against a Premier league match um that that to me seems kind of strange i mean i i think i could i could maybe see it in some odd instances but I also think they would pick their spots. I also think that that might be like kind of an international break type thing. So the, what I heard, so this is coming from Taylor Twelman uh -huh. and you know, Taylor knows things, right? Sure. So he, the way he was talking about it is that it would be an 11 AM kick okay. Eastern time. Okay. And so, um, that would be 10 AM here. Um, and it, so like, yeah, you talk about like the logistics of it. So, Americans are are very used to watching games at that time of the day. Yeah. But 
I mean, there's play, noon play, central the, kicks that like MLS has now, so I, that's not too far afield from that. But but the players are not used to playing that that <laughs> early. So like Americans get up like if you're on the East Coast, like five six a.m. Sometimes, sorry, on the West Coast, it's like five six a.m. Sometimes, and so but the players who are playing in those games in Europe are not waking up that early. And so I've heard several right. retired players and current players get asked like would you rather play like these 10 30 p.m games in this mls is back thing or the morning game and all of them say the late game sure was better because for these like eight or nine a.m kicks these guys are getting up at five or six a.m to get their their pre-match meal in and kind of do their ritual and all this stuff they have to do to get ready for that game and so yeah there is a lot to a lot of logistical things that would need to change but if ratings are really good then I think I think this is something that MLS wouldn't think twice about doing if if they can maybe do it right after Premier League games or something like that and say like Premier League ends and you roll right into a MLS kickoff after that. I think that could be a big win. And I honestly, like I said, Americans are already used to it and I would really enjoy watching those games in the morning. Right. If like you're on the union and you're going to Frisco and it's like, oh, this was going to be like a, a 6 p.m. kick, but now it's going to be like a 10 a.m. kick. How do you all feel about that? You know, they'd, they'd probably be okay, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to avoid um, what that. If, what, I was, sorry, I was, I was ahead, thinking. Go ahead, Jeremiah. Also, I was also thinking for those of us in Texas, uh, Texas OU, I've spent many a uh, 8 a.m. eating corn dogs and drinking beer at the state fair, right, before like at a, <laughs> before an 11 a.m. college football kick. So I feel like if anybody's going to be able to pull that off, you know, it's, it's going to be people here in this state. Right. Yeah, what, what would y'all, what would, how would y'all feel about, like, just as a fan experience, going to the stadium at like 10 a.m oh yeah it's i mean they do it they do it in college football fairly often right i'm an early riser yeah i'm into it yeah i think it would be cool it's not as hot um i'm for it so mls let's make it happen yeah that's right it's because the heat right they usually do that for the like september games you know when it's a even even at night it's still 90 degrees during college football season down here so yeah it would be it would be much more pleasant to do that and get it over with all right, let's uh, let's transition to to the next juicy topic that we have on the list. So let's talk some supporters group drama. So, Phil, tell us a little bit about why supporters groups split. Well, maybe first, if you want to just kind of let people know what's maybe happened over the last few months, if they're maybe a yeah, confused this, about what's going on. This will be a good context. Um, so. Yeah, recently there's been a new uh, a new supporters group here in Austin called Los Verdes. They uh, started selling memberships uh, last week or two weeks ago, and th this is all tied into the reason this this podcast exists. So, um, to give you even more background, Jeremiah and I were both in uh, leadership positions within Austin Anthem. Whenever this split happened, Jeremiah is one of the people who is starting. Los Verdes, this new group, kind of the reason we started this show was because while we were part of Austin Anthem and affiliated with the supporters group, there was, um, I think we, we kind of felt a freedom and kind of an independence because there was only one supporters group. And so we didn't necessarily have to worry about uh, playing sides or doing anything like that because it was, we, we, we felt that we could kind of speak freely and still be speaking for all of the fans. And so whenever that split happened, um, it kind of changed that whole dynamic, which is kind of the birth of, of this show that we wanted to start so we could do something more independent, but getting back into the, the supporters group part of it, Jeremiah. So since you, you're one of the people who started Los Verdes, do you want to tell us a little bit about why or kind of what Los Verdes mission is? Yeah, what it, I mean, Los Verdes is really focused on the game day experience, and so that was the thing that we that we always that we wanted to lead with, and so um, we just felt like sort of starting a new group with that uh, at the focus of of at the center of what we do and what it was about was was important, and so um, so we did that. So we started we started in May. Um, gosh, it's been kind of a whirlwind. We started May. Picked the name. We had like 30 names. 29 of them were bad. Everybody loved Los Verdes, <laughs> luckily. And and just like when we had, remember we had the Butler brothers on and they're like, well, there's other bad art and we're not going to show it to you now. And I'll say the same thing. Like 
there are other terrible names we considered one of, <laughs> one of wait one of which phil west loves so if phil wants to add himself on like what his preferred name was which i don't remember but i, I just i feel like it was a bad pun um <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very on brand for phil west yeah. You can feel free to do that. Yeah, we came up with that. And then, yeah, we started selling memberships on July 1st and uh, sold 350 or so in the last couple of weeks. So it's been it's been really exciting. But the goal is to pour all that like back into game day because one thing I've learned about this is that paint and banners and smoke bombs cost a lot of money, which I did not expect. Like I knew musical, musical instruments did, but you know that's really our focus is to do that. And I know um, one of the big questions I got like when the switch happened is like, well, I guess that kind of kills the podcast. And like I thought it did for a little while, but we luckily we found Troy and, and Zach and they made a good relationship with Capital City Soccer. And I think it'll be it'll be a good uh, thing for us to have the chance to speak freely on behalf of the soccer community as a whole um, and like use our own voices and connect with those folks. Yeah, and just yeah, full so, disclosure, I have uh, memberships in both groups. I mean, you know, that might change in 21 once things are official, but in the interest of, of getting things up and running and loving soccer here in Austin, um, you know, definitely you know, love a lot of what Anthem has been doing and love what a lot of uh, Los Verdes is doing now. So definitely don't want to, you know, necessarily choose one side over the other. Yeah. And we can, so yeah, let's, we'll kind of loop this back around and, and tie kind of this story we're going to tell back into what's happening here in Austin, but let's talk just more generally now. So yeah, in, in, in kind of the history of MLS, um, why do supporters groups split? And, and what does that normally look like? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you'll have one supporters group that will back a team at the inception. And obviously, for a lot of the MLS teams that were original teams, there was just kind of one group. Actually, um, Screaming Eagles and Barra Brava both started at the same time for DC United. And you already had, like, their kind of two different approaches to how they wanted to be fans how they wanted to support the teams and so yeah typically what will happen when you have a split and i think atlanta's a really good example so i want to talk about them a little bit more but just to kind of set it up i mean either you have a group of people that want to create some sort of different experience or focus on some sort of thing or maybe you know just kind of think that they can do something better or do something differently from a group of people that are established in leadership so, you know, and again, there, there can be some animosity certain that happens at the outset, but, but the goal, and I think what's happened in a lot of cases is that eventually you do get the groups working together and creating a good game day experience, which should really be, you know, at the heart of what it is at the end of the day. So, so Phil, yeah, I do. I do want to ask you about Atlanta, Phil, cause it's just, yeah. as it's evolved, like every time I'm thinking about, you know, what do we want to put on the website or what committees do we have or whatever? I'm like, how do we, like, I always looked at footy mob right. in Atlanta. And I think it's interesting. I think probably that's a pretty, like the terminus lesion footy mob thing seems like a fairly close tie to kind of what's happened so far in Austin. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sort of. Yeah. So, so terminus legion was the original SG and that started out of the drive to bring a team to Atlanta. So very, very analogous to the way that Anthem started from MLS is Austin or, yeah, so, so basically you had Terminus Legion come out of that initial sort of effort to get a team into the city. And then actually what happened with that is that even before Footy Mob, you had a group called Resurgence, which was kind of more of a DIY kind of punk ethos group. A lot of younger kids in that group uh, very much focused on kind of game day experience and they broke off from Terminus Legion. And so when you see Atlanta games now, what you'll see is in their supporters end, you'll see a mix of Terminus Legion and Resurgence fans. And what they're doing is they're sharing capo duties. Um, they're very much about that kind of support. I think they collaborate on TIFO, um, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but you have two other groups there too. You have Footy Mob and you have The Faction. And Footy Mob is, they sit adjacent to the supporter section, but they don't actually sit in that end. And they are much more about uh, the tailgate experience. And like I tell people constantly, <laughs> um, I went to Atlanta United's second home game at Bobby Dodd and hung out with a lot of the Footy Mob people beforehand. Excellent tailgate, um, great food. They had DJs. Um, discovered a beer called emergency drinking beer there 
which was fantastic. And they just, yeah, they, they just did that tailgate experience really well. And then there's another group called The Faction. They actually sit on the sideline, and they're very much about charity and very much about family experience. I mean, they're also about the tailgate, uh, but they're definitely, like, if you – you know, are an older fan, if you have kids, if you don't necessarily want to stand and cheer for the full 90, there's a place for you here. We're still a fully functional supporters group. We're still into creating that experience, but we're not going to necessarily maybe be, you know, on our feet for the entire 90 and that's okay. So what, um, if, if you guys have listened to the Austin Anthem podcast, we had uh, Jay Riddle on that that podcast uh it was probably like a year ago i don't know when that was it was a long time ago but jay is a member of of the faction and um before talking to him i didn't like i didn't realize that there was like splits in the atlanta groups and like didn't know that there was drama behind the scenes or any of that and i i think that's kind of the like that should be the goal right like even mm -hmm. though there may be like some disagreements behind the scenes on game day, they all show up to support that team. And if you're in the stadium or watching on TV, you don't see drama. You don't see disagreements. You see this huge section of people all singing and chanting and supporting that team. And so what are some, are there any examples of, of things like this that have happened where it, it didn't turn into that? Um, I mean, wow. <laughs> I mean, you could kind of point to Dallas for a while. I mean, you have like kind of El Matador at odds with Dallas Beer Guardians, kind of at odds with uh, the front office. I mean, they've created kind of a much more unified front right now. But, you know, there were definitely kind of instances like that where you were seeing um, SGs doing their own thing. But I mean, much more, it's a lot of kind of disparate SGs that come together um, in part because of the front office and what they're doing. Um, and in part, just because the, the entities decide to work together, like the 3252 gets talked about a lot, but that's actually a lot of different groups. I mean, some of those uh, date back to kind of Chivas days. Others of right. those are kind of newer fans and they all kind of do one thing on game day within the office, but they are all from, definite different parts of LA and have different origins and definitely kind of see things differently. I remember when I was talking to them as they were getting set for the stadium, like they still weren't exactly quite sure what they were going to do. If they were going to be kind of more British style, if they were going to be more, you know, kind of Bar Brava style. And they've obviously created kind of their own good mix of stuff, but you know, they, they didn't have kind of a set definite plan going in. So, I mean, a lot of it ultimately boils down to, the SGs being able to communicate and focus on a good game day experience. And if they can do that, then, you know, it's, it's obvious and it shows and everybody's sort of happy with it. And if it is maybe a little bit more lackluster, then, you know, sometimes you'll see the front office kind of coming in and trying to get the teams together, kind of like what we saw with like RSL over the last year where they had like six, six, six different supporters groups and they all were able to kind of bring them together and try to create some kind of new game day rituals around what they were doing. And it wasn't that the, the groups were particularly kind of warring against each other, but they were just doing their own thing and sitting in different parts of the stadium and, and not really kind of as unified as they, they could have been. And Phil, what about Houston did something fairly similar to that too, right? They, right. they came up with this new, this new kind of front office driven collective or whatever. Do you, do you know much about the way that they're operating that? Are you talking about the surge or? Well, yeah, the surge, but I thought, I thought that, the, I thought that, I thought they, I thought that they had stepped in a little bit because the, because their two main groups weren't getting along and then kind of the surge came out of that. But yeah, I, I don't, too. I don't know so much about that. I mean, I know what happened a few years ago is that they were moving the supporters groups. They wanted to sell tickets um, and that's, I guess, God, I want to say it's the South end. It's wherever the bar end is now kind of there. And they moved them to that, that like North side upper deck, um, and, you know, kind of try to give them support and had the front office go in and let them be in the stadium and kind of figure out like what it was going to be. But yeah, that's been kind of a really interesting situation with them too, because you've had Texan army, which was kind of the long established group and they still have their ritual where they have the, um, the black, orange and white Texan flag that they put up after every goal. But that's very much, but now you had a, um, you have El Bation, which is obviously kind of dominating things. It's very much, 
kind of bar influenced SG. And when you see a Dynamo game, you'll you'll hear them doing seven, eight, ten minute songs and just transition from song to song, and they just kind of you know take all the SG oxygen out of the room, as it were. So transitioning back kind of to to Austin and kind of how all of this relates to the experience here. What are some of the lessons that now that there are multiple supporters groups in Austin, what are some of the lessons that the groups here can learn from these other other cities? Yeah, I mean, I think first and foremost for the the two groups, you know, now that they that Los Verdes is, you know, definitely established as a second supporters group. I don't know if like FO is given official status yet, but I can't imagine they wouldn't kind of given the energy and the numbers and all that. Um, first of all, just communicating. And my advice would be get your capos on the same page, you know, get TIFO on the same page, you know, have committees that come out of those groups. If you have, you know, cause Los Verdes is very much about game day experience and they want to own game day experience. But if there are Anthem people who want to participate in that, I think, you know, it might be a good idea to, to have them do that. Um, but for Anthem also, you know, they have to kind of decide what they want to be. I mean, do they want to be kind of more of like a footy mob where they're owning game day or, I mean, not game day or tailgate rather, um, or do you want to have, um, you know, kind of catering to maybe a more sort of professional kind of crowd? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what exactly, but but people will kind of define what the groups are by their membership if the groups themselves kind of don't define what they want to be specifically. And once you have a break in SGs, once you have more than one SG, you can't operate kind of where Anthem was, where Anthem was, okay, we're going to be this one SG and we're going to embody everything that supporters culture is in Austin. Because now there's a second group that's articulating things and and this group seems to be specifically you know, about that game day experience. And so, so it's just a matter of kind of trying to figure out what fans you're trying to bring in and just make sure that there's room for everybody. Because I mean, again, when you have these groups form, it's about oftentimes, well, we don't feel that we necessarily maybe had a place in this group or we want to kind of focus on this aspect of things to make sure that this particular group of fans feel kind of more satisfied and feel more that they belong in a place, you know, and it's really about belonging and it's really at the end of the day about having a community. But at the same time, you know, it's good obviously to have all those communities coalesce together into one cohesive big community that is Austin FC fandom. So Phil, is there like a, is there like a typical number of groups that, that clubs have, you know I mean? So there's two big ones now, and there's already a couple other smaller ones that have very specific functions. There's a group of new Braunfels. There's a group at UT, but I mean, like, is there the third group or the fourth group? And you know what, I mean, like, what do you expect to see or hear? And I guess, you know, in the interest of not being, not having six and being real salt Lake, like what do people need to avoid to have that happen? Yeah, and I mean, I think, I mean, one one thing that Anthem, I think, was trying to do initially and might still be able to do is this kind of idea of having chapters and having subgroups within. And if there's kind of room for that within the bigger structure, you know, that can be something. I mean, like Timber's Army still also, there's a lot of kind of different subgroups within that, but they have much more of kind of an entity um, identity, right? So they're, they're Timbers Army, that's kind of the umbrella. Um, you know, that's definitely what they are. I mean, there's no real magic number, um, but, but there also should be some sort of specific mission and vision behind it. You know, it shouldn't just be, you know, yeah, we're a bunch of people that like each other. You know, there should be some sort of vision that helps people understand, okay, why do I want to join Los Verdes versus you know, Anthem versus whatever group might come up. At the end of the day, you want to have cohesion. I mean, what you don't want to have is you don't want to have SGs that are openly warring with each other that can't create a good game day atmosphere because then, you know, that's going to strain things with the front office. And, you know, for an SG to function really well, you obviously want to have a good relationship with the front office. I mean, you don't have to be 100% on the same page with them, obviously, but you do want to have a good working relationship in order to, you know, be able to, to function and and do well and it it really shows on game day the difference between we get along with front office and we're at odds with the front office 
Yeah. So something you mentioned earlier on is that just mentioning that kind of creating something harmonious that we're pulling in the same direction come day, come game day. Um, I, I think that's kind of the long and the short of it is that there is room for multiple groups as long as that end product is is um, a collaborative one. And so, yeah, one thing I, w- I would say is, Phil, you mentioned you're a member of both groups. I, whenever Los Verdes put out memberships the other day, I bought a membership because a lot of the people who are running Los Verdes now are people who are some of my best friends in right. the world right now. And I they're doing really cool stuff. And I want to support that because it's something that's going to make that game day experience something really special. And so even though I'm still a part of Austin Anthem, I'm going to support what they're doing as well. And I think there's going to be a lot of people who are in that situation, who they, they want to continue to support both groups and be a member of both groups. And so I think until one of the groups says like, you can't do that or gives them a reason Mm -hmm. to not be a member of it, or maybe it comes about naturally. Like you said, like different groups will kind of find, find their, their niches and, and kind of, okay, this is what this group does. And this is what this group does. Like that'll kind of shake itself out. But what I don't think, or what I don't want to happen and don't think should happen is it be a thing where it's like a a combative thing where this group of people is against this group of people or they're competing with each other. No, they're all doing the same thing. Like we're here to support a soccer team. We're going to go into the same stadium and cheer for that same team. And that part of it should be easy. Like it should be fun. There shouldn't Mm -hmm. be any like any conflict or drama in that part of it. it should be a celebration right i mean the thing with anthem i mean it's still you know it's a really good brand it's a really good social media voice um you know and this is this is a group that you know was in the trenches you know they were the original group they helped get the stadium to the finish line you know there's still a lot of kind of value for those people who are sticking with anthem and believe in anthem as the first sg you know more power but, but also, yeah, Los Verdes, I mean, a lot of my friends are there and there's a lot of really good energy and, you know, it's just overall a really, really, you know, fun bunch of people that are there. And I mean, it was just, I mean, it was so funny, like on the, like on the Slack a couple of days ago, there was like some, um, some guy Cesar who is a um, Amazon driver and he snapped this picture with a, there was a car with an Austin FG um, with an Austin FC rather um, sticker on that. And he's like, Oh, look at this, you know, I'm, I'm delivering and I see this here. And it's like, that's my car. You know? <laughs> and actually I, I ran into the guy, like when I was, I was coming back to the house and we talked for a while. He's like, Oh yeah, you're Phil. And so like he, we had seen each other on, on Slack, but then we actually got to, you know, connect in real life about the team and did you get season tickets yet and all that. And I, I mean, I have no idea what my fandom is going to look like or what my professional life is going to look like. I mean, I could be working for the front office. I could be a journalist. I could be, you know, in the supporter section in 21. I have no idea where life's going to take me. I mean, it's just everything. is just that weird right now for me, but, but I definitely know that, you know, COVID willing that on, that day in April 21, I'm going to be in that stadium in some capacity. And I ultimately, at the end of the day, want to be there with people who are there because they dreamt it and they helped make it happen. And, you know, this is, this is the reward for all that work. I mean, you guys were there, you saw it, you were in ridiculous city council meetings till the middle of the night, you know, all these like incredible things happen to allow for this team to happen now we have a first player that we're talking about you know now we have you know our head coach scouting this wacky tournament that's happening right now there's just all these things that you know two years three years ago we we didn't know could be possible or was going to happen and it happened because of the people in anthem and it happened because of the people who are now in los verdes and you know at the end of the day i just really want these people to be able to work together and celebrate it because you know this is what we worked for you know this is what we like listen to linda curtis and francois lucas for (laughs) you know i mean it was just all this like ridiculous stuff that we had to endure to get to you know this this incredible point and 
you know, COVID's really fucked things up. But at the same time, it's like, you know, if, if we get over this last hurdle and the stadium gets built and everything, you know, we're here, we're seeing soccer in Austin. And, you know, the last thing I want to do is see, you know, supporters groups fight over, you know, drums that are ultimately going to be played by people that are going to like pump up 20,000 people in a stadium, God willing. Yeah. So, um, like I said, I'm, I'm a member of both groups. I'll be getting my, my Los Verdes sticker in the mail here in the next few weeks. I'm going to stick it on my car next. Phil, you mentioned stickers on cars. I'm going to stick my Los Verdes (laughs) sticker on my car next to my Austin Anthem sticker. And I imagine there's going to be a lot of other people in town who do that. So, um, people who are members of these groups, if you're listening, we can do this. Like we can, we can make this something really special. And I think this is an opportunity um, to, to make this a positive, to, to really be able to, to have a place for everyone. Like Phil mentioned earlier, like uh, these different groups exist because different people will find places where they feel more at home or, or feel like this is where they're supposed to be. And so I think we, if we just keep striving for that, that mark, and then on that game day, um, all be pulling in the same direction. It's going to be a really special thing. Like the excitement is here. The, the, the hunger for soccer is here. And so really, as long as we don't mess it up, like right. this is going to be something really special. So yeah, like, and the, let's and keep, the thing uh, is, keep an eye on the prize. Yeah. And it, I mean, it is emotional. Like I'm an Arsenal fan and Spurs beat Arsenal today. And I was in a funk and I ended up like having like power wash the crap out of my driveway to feel better. You know, <laughs> that's just, that's just what the sport does. You know, it, it, you have these incredible highs and these incredible lows and you know, we're probably, we're probably going to experience these things, you know, especially as a first year team. I mean, we're probably not going to win MLS cup, right? I mean, there's going to be, there's going to be a horrible loss along the way. Like we're going to, you know, we're, we're possibly going to get slapped down like three, one by Columbus the first time we like face them. And that's going to really, really suck. But at the same time, like we, we have to band together and keep each other strong and, you know, have another round and say, you know, yeah, we're eventually going to get them, you know, like Zardis is going to lose his first touch again. You know, there's things like that <laughs> that we'll be able to say to each other to, to feel better. But then there's also going to be, you know, our first win and our first playoff appearance and, you know, all these incredible things that are going to happen. And just, yeah, the last thing I want to see happen is to have us, you know, fighting with these people that, that were, were there dreaming that these sort of things would happen you know, at the outset, you know, it was, it's, it's a lot of work that's gone into this and, and we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't diminish this, but at the same time, you know, let's, let's work together. Let's create a really good game day experience that the whole city can be proud of. All right. I think that's a good place to end it. So Phil, thanks so much for, for joining us. Um, listeners, you can find Phil's books, uh, the United States of Soccer, and I believe that we will win. I believe you can find those anywhere that you buy books online. And then also, I've seen them in, in stores here in Austin. So support your local bookstore, buy them from a store here in Austin. Uh, but Phil, I'm sure we'll have you on again sometime soon. So thanks for joining us. I would and, love it, yeah. And yeah, we'll see you soon. For sure. Thanks, Phil. Hey, everybody. This is Landon and Jeremiah and Phil again from the future, jumping in to to cover some breaking news that that came out this morning. So we decided to jump back on a call and uh, record another little bit of this show so we could get this get this in before the next episode in a couple of weeks. But Austin FC has hired Davey Arnault as the assistant coach for Josh Wolf. So um, if some of you may know who he is, some of you may not, but uh, he most recently was the assistant coach at Houston Dynamo under Tab Ramos. He was also the interim head coach after they fired Wilmer Cabrera. Um, he coached at uh, DC United before then, and then also had a, a, a pretty successful playing career. He played uh, 2002 to 2011 at Sporting KC. Uh, 2012 to 2013 at Montreal Impact, 2014 to 2016 at DC United, and uh, was apparently captain at each of those clubs. So uh, that's pretty impressive. So Jeremiah, Phil, what do we think about this hire? It seems like a good hire. He's got all the, all the bona fides. Um, uh, You know, he's obviously very familiar with Josh Wolf from being around the league for a long time. Um, And then um, also they, they continue to, really build the club continues to build around folks who have a real deep understanding of MLS um, and sort of the unique way 
that the league works and the game works in, you know, here. So I think it'll be a positive addition. And another thing, Chris Bills interviewed um, Jimmy Conrad, um, and then he had an interesting comparison between the two uh, back during their playing days where, where basically Wolf was his cerebral kind of analyzing everything on the field and um, Arno was a wear his shirt, what is it, wear your heart on your sleeve kind of guy and real dynamic. And so he, uh, at least uh, in the eyes of Jimmy Conrad, it'll be a good balance between the two to have this like firebrand and this this thoughtful person. So, I mean, I mean, it seems like a good hire. Yeah, and I mean, say what you- Say what you will about the um, the dumpster fire that was the 2019 Dynamo season, where they started out six one and one, and then went went like three twelve and two after that. But Arno had to kind of pick up the pieces after they shipped off Cabrera, and then Cabrera mysteriously ended up as Montreal's head coach, um, which was a really weird episode. You know, and they didn't do that great down the stretch, but it was just it was a really tough season. And the year before, obviously, he was part of the coaching staff that led them to the uh, U.S. Open Cup win. You may have heard the Dynamo won the U.S. Open Cup. They are, they are fond of speaking of it. So uh, maybe maybe being in Austin, close to Houston, you have, you have heard. But yeah, no, I mean, it seems, it seems like a good hire. I didn't actually anticipate that they were going to bring in an assistant coach right now. But I mean, I guess it makes sense, right? They have a player they're thinking about uh, building over the next few months and assembling a roster. So yeah, why not bring in somebody who looks like he's a accomplished number two who can handle things under wolf and then you know obviously he's got now some head coaching credentials i mean credit. i was gonna say one one thing that's really interesting so now we have more coaches than players which i think is probably <laughs> but we knew that was <laughs> yeah. gonna happen right and then you left out a part of his bio where he was a west texas a&m buffalo um which you, apparently you're really familiar with so landon can you can you talk about the west texas a&m soccer uh dynamo that is from your time up there yeah i don't know anything about the soccer team really but i'm from up in the panhandle which is where west texas a&m is and all my friends from high school went to west texas a&m so i i was at school in uh in school in lubbock which is like two hours away and so i ended up in canyon texas going to visit my friends like every other weekend and i was going to south plains college doing a, a music degree and I was in Canyon so much and going to football games and things like that, that I knew West Texas A&M's fight song. And at one point did not know my school's mascot. I I couldn't have told you what it was for like a year that I was in school there. Um, But yeah, apparently the the soccer team is like a popular, a popular thing. I don't know if they're good, but I I was very surprised to see that uh, he went to West Texas A&M and then went straight into MLS after that. But I guess it was a, a pretty different league back in those days, huh? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, also, yeah, Canyon is close to Paladuro Canyon. So we established we've we've all been to that kind of unknown gem in Texas. And apparently I'm the only one who hasn't seen the play that the uh, state parks <laughs> people do down in the, the bottom of Paladuro Canyon. So but I have I have ziplined over it, over part of it. So a all right. really very scary, treacherous part of it. So Paladero Canyon, highly recommended by the Capital City Soccer Show. Um, so, Jeremiah, earlier you mentioned that uh, Wolf and Arno played together along with Jimmy Conrad at uh, Sporting KC. So, um, I I wanted to just kind of see. I'd heard Davy Arno's name, but I don't know anything about him. So, I just wanted to hear a little bit more about him. Searched his name in the podcast app and found um, the a podcast called the Sporting KC Show, which I think is a, a radio show that that airs in Kansas City. And they put out as a podcast, but they had him on earlier this year as a guest. And um, he was talking about his coaching career. And one little tidbit that I thought was interesting is he started talking about um, when he was interim manager of Houston Dynamo. They asked uh, who, who he went to for advice and and who he was talking to and like kind of what his strategy was there. And he mentioned Wolf. He said Wolf was one of the first people he called during that era. Uh, and when he decided to go into coaching, that Wolf has um, kind of been a, a mentor type person to him. That when they were players, that Wolf kind of took him under his wing and kind of showed him what it meant to be a pro. And they've stayed in touch and now gets coaching advice from Josh Wolf. And so they have a very close relationship. So knowing that, it, it's it's a little less surprising to know that um, that that Wolf has now chosen him to be on the staff. Um, Arno also mentioned that he likes taking players under his wing. 
and kind of helping them grow and, and is really into the development aspect, which I think fits really well with what we've heard from Claudio and from, from Josh Wolf as to what kind of the ethos around their locker room is going to be. So um, on the flip side of that, do we, do we think that there's any maybe negative aspect to Josh only hiring people that he already knows, or do we see that as a strength? Well, he's only hired one assistant coach so far. So, I mean, if it keeps being, you know, dudes that he knows, particularly white dudes that he knows, maybe there's like some diversity issues. But I, I, I mean, again, you know, you've obviously got, you know, Claudio's influence in there as well. I mean, I don't think that we really have necessarily a complete picture of what the staff's going to look like, um, you know, from this one hire. I think it's, I think it's too early. But, but I mean, I think it's very much in the model of what we're seeing with Austin FC is they're they seem to be gravitating towards people that they already have a comfort level with, that there's not too many sort of unknowns. And if it is somebody that they haven't directly maybe worked with, like a Claudio, that he's somebody who has been in the league, who is this known entity. And then, you know, Josh and Claudio, of course, did play together. So, so even there you have that kind of familiarity. And if you, you have that kind of camaraderie, and if you already kind of know the wavelengths that people are on, I mean, I think that that is a good thing. I think something else to, to say to that is that um, there will be a sense of identity at the club because of this cohesion amongst the coaching coaching staff. That's that's something you hear said of of expansion teams a lot, like FC Cincinnati, partly due to, to not having a, the same coach for more than a few months at a time. But you hear that this team lacks identity. They need to to find their identity, and then they'll be able to grow. This team is going to have somewhat of an identity just because these these the people in the the coaching staff will all know each other and, and kind of have a really clear idea of what they want to do. They'll need to get the players on board with that. But I think that could be a really um, an advantage when you're trying to build that identity out. Yeah, and I think another thing that's good too is just that he was in the league for so long. I mean, the league has changed you know, considerably since he left it as a player, but he went right from a player into coaching. So there wasn't really lag time. I mean, he's had continuity dating back to, you know, at 02. So you, I mean, you think about that. I mean, that's, that's, you know, Landon Donovan, DeMarcus Beasley, World Cup era type continuity. So that's almost like kind of two decades of either being a player or a coach in the league. So that's, that's definitely got to be a plus. Cause I mean, again, yeah, you see even somebody who's an accomplished coach like DeBoer over at Atlanta has had maybe some difficulty adjusting, not necessarily kind of maybe getting what makes this particular league tick, even though he's been successful in a lot of other leagues around the world. All right. So let's, um, since we're, we're taking this opportunity to kind of record this extra segment, I wanted to take this moment to kind of go back and, and mention something that was on our show notes for the original recording. And we kind of skipped on to a different subject and ended up not going back and talking about it. But it's something really important and something that I think all three of us really believe strongly in. And, and I, I personally was really moved by it. But um, the, the first game uh, between the two Florida teams, the first game of the MLS's back tournament, they had uh, a display before the first game by the Black Players for Change. And they did somewhat of um, a, a protest out on the field. And all of the the members of Black Players for Change came out onto the field and kind of had this, this ceremony. And um, they ended up st- standing out on the field for eight minutes and 46 seconds, which was the amount of time that um, that the policeman was was kneeling on on George Floyd's neck. So that was I'm getting a little emotional talking about it right now, but it was a, a very powerful moment. And so um, I was. Yeah, it's really happy to see that the league is is doing this and and making such a big show of this because as recently as last season, there have been times when the league was not necessarily the quickest to kind of jump to uh, social change and kind of the feeling the pulse of, of what the American people are thinking and feeling. And so I was really, really heartened by that part of it. What did you guys think? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, and, and not just the, the one game, I mean, obviously the, the initial kind of display tribute that the players did was really emotional and impactful. And once you realized, Oh, this is going a long time. Oh, I bet this is going 8:46. It just became even um, sort of more moving. And then I think uh, Terry Henry 
was kneeling for the first eight minutes, 46 seconds of yep. the match yeah, that he right. coached, which, you know, it's incredible just that you're seeing, you know, this, this kind of outpouring of support, not only, you know, obviously among MLS players, but around the world. It's just, it's really cool and to see the league embrace it and see everybody wearing the Black Lives Matter shirt, which, um, you know, they should really get that up in the store because I think a lot of fans would be wanting to wear that and support as well. But just that it is something that is on display and is a, a continual thing throughout the tournament is is cool. And to, you know, to not have the national anthem, to have that kind of display again, I mean, that takes, you know, a lot of courage for an American sports league. And, you know, kudos to MLS for, I mean, again, like you were kind of alluding to last year, there was the whole kind of controversy around Iron Front and, the the league's kind of reluctance to have those kind of political displays in the stands and to just kind of see this this mammoth sea change happening throughout the country this year and seeing MLS at the forefront of it is is really heartening. You know, really I'm really glad to be a fan of this league in part because they're they're willing to to take that on. Yeah, and I think we don't have time to talk about it now, but the whole uh was black with black players for change organization that has kind of sprung up you know, fairly recently and now has 170 members and really seems to have a voice um, among the players and among the league. I mean, I think it's something to watch out for. And it's a, you know, it's a really important statement um, about social justice. And I, I wish I could remember the numbers, but I was surprised at how many African-American players there are in MLS on a percentage basis. I think it's, it's in the twenties. It was, it was the stat I was looking at compared to like baseball, which is eight or something like that, but it's good for, for that group to have its voice and for the league to encourage it too. So I think that's something that we, we should probably explore more at some point um, on another show. All right. We uh, we're going to end on <laughs> one, one silly note from, from Phil West because it wouldn't be a, a Phil West interview if we didn't have some, <laughs> some silly little piece of MLS culture to throw in. So uh, during the, that first game, immediately following the, this uh, this thing we were just talking about was the the new Florida Derby, and so Orlando actually has beaten a rival now, and they uh, <laughs> they wanted to celebrate celebrate that that win. So well, let's, let's talk a little, talk a little bit about how they beat that rival. <laughs> so it's it's one one. It's like the seventh minute of stoppage time. Um, this ball goes into Nani. He tries to head it. He whiffs on it completely. Goes to a teammate. Somehow ends up back to Nani's foot. And while he's still kind of trying to catch his balance from the really badly timed jump, uh, he scores the winning goal. And they print so a shirt. Two-one. Orlando then, wins. And then what happened? <laughs> and then and then they created a shirt that said Florida is purple. So I tweeted something back with the shirt that said, um, when you want to say we won the opening match of a tournament on a fluke stoppage time goal on a t-shirt. And um, it wasn't a lot, but there were there were Orlando fans that came back that were very salty about it. The thought that I was just like a bitter Miami fan, and they were throwing vitriol <laughs> my way. How did that L taste? It's like I'm in Austin. You know, I don't care. Yeah. Really, I was just kind of making fun of you, and I and I, you know, I, I threw a lot of good Orlando jokes in there. You know, I told one of the guys that he was getting his jorts in a wad, and then I said, you know, they were so they were so mad. You thought I would have stole their vape pens. And they, they still just thought I was a bitter Miami fan. But it was kind of heartening just because, you know, we've, we've had to, you know, in these last few months just kind of dance around everything with COVID. And it's like, oh, we want to see each other again and togetherness. And we're trying to connect as a community through our Zoom screens. And now just Orlando fans get a win under their belt. And I make fun of them. And then they, like, turn around and hate me for it. So it's a little bit back. of normalcy. <laughs> we have it's normalcy. True, <laughs> true, true sign of progress. <laughs> All right. So we're going to jump back to future uh, Landon and Jeremiah, who are now, while you're listening to this, past Landon and Jeremiah. It's all very confusing, but we're going to end the show now. So we'll see y'all next time. Take care, y'all. All right. We want to thank Phil one more time for joining us today. We would like to remind you to rate, review, and subscribe uh, to the Capital City Soccer Show on whatever podcasting app you use. We also encourage you to visit CapitalCitySoccer.com. Uh, recently, we published an article describing the different SGs here in town. So you can find articles like that and many other Austin FC related things on that website. Yeah. And as always, we uh, check out both the Austin FC Reddit page and the official Austin FC fan group a lot, um, engage with people, get ideas for topics and things we want to talk about in this uh, on this show. So we 
we look for more from there. Um, and please share with your friends and neighbors. So we're four episodes in now, if I remember right. We're becoming yeah, veterans. This is the fourth. This is the fourth. Yeah. Yeah. So it's the, it's the fourth city, Capital City Soccer Show, but it's still a new show. You know, we're still build, building an audience. There's still a lot of people that are discovering Austin FC and getting involved with fandom. And so please, you know, uh, send them to us to, to listen to us talk about soccer. All right. We will be back in two weeks with a new episode. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. Is around.